0: The August 17th edition of the PFF forecast. I'm George. Eric is here. He's betting on tennis. He's never watched a tennis match before. That'll be entertainment throughout the podcast. The real main attraction, though, is we finally have dear friend and now a compadre, member of the PFF team, formerly of Rotoviz, four for four, established the run 538, uh, where he he creates just magnetic content always gets the people going he of the famous Bylow model and now if you're watching on youtube you can see an aspiring uh country music star with a gold-plated microphone to show for it uh josh hermsmeyer joins us josh how you doing
1: buddy doing great doing great this was a, a long time coming bringing the uh, Bylow model to pff and man i i couldn't be happier i really am uh, super stoked to be with you guys honestly i know You know, obviously, what else would I say? But uh, we've been talking and friends for quite a few years now, and uh, this is uh, this is something I think I wanted to do for a long time. So uh, I appreciate
2: it. I'm just really glad that in 2019 I was able to convince George uh, to go to the Peyton Manning table uh, to spend some time with with you, uh, Warren Sharp, and Evan Silva. Um, where, you know, the famous story being that Evan Silva went up to Sean Payton. Sean Payton, red-faced as all get out. Evan called Alvin Kamara soft to Sean Payton. Sean blo- kind of laughed it off. And then the next day, Evan gets up, tweets out, had a great night last night with at Frisco Josh, at PFF George, at PFF Eric, at Sean Payton. Honestly, the the most the shameless tweet I've ever seen, and the most respected tweet I've ever seen. Like I respect that level of shamelessness.
1: It's still epic that we talk about how Sean Payton called his starting running back soft, because um, I mean that's what it became, right? Like you're saying, Evan said it. Evan says Sean said it. Look, Sean's a real one. He he was uh, he was having a good time that night. So was I. It was, uh, I, I couldn't hear anything in that bar, you know, so I was just taking people's word for it. But the story now is that he called his starting running back soft. It's just the way it is. That's the truth.
0: Can the only thing that wasn't having a good time that night was Evan Silva's jacket, which uh, drowned? <laughs> uh, that was because anyone that's, um, if, so I'm assuming most of our, beloved listeners have not ventured to Indianapolis because why the hell would you and have gone to a, a prime at, you know, two in the morning during the combine that play it's like five degrees outside inside. It's a microwave oven and, you know, full of like 80 to 90% football guys. So, you know, it, it can get ripe in there and Evan is just sweating through a jacket I mean, just like completely sweating through. So if Sean Payton had not been really enjoying himself, I feel like I feel like he would have just ripped in. <laughs> like, what the hell is this guy? I'm just gonna rip, rip this dude apart. Uh, but he did not. And that I think is a testament to Sean Payton. We have another I think
1: that, I think that same night I had a conversation uh with the guys from Football Outsiders, strangely enough. And uh I, I think I said to uh the head guy. I I said to him, you know, people don't really give you enough credit for all the trailblazing you did. And uh, I think he quickly agreed with me.
0: Mm. Look at you. I mean, you just pump people up. You make people feel good. Yeah. The, yeah. the story that I w- thought Eric was going to tell was that um, we got you to come visit us and spend some time with us in Miami during the Super Bowl. And we had a, a house in, in South Beach. And so I'm like, Josh, you got it. You got to come. It's going to be a blast. You know, it's going to be awesome. So Josh is like, OK, you know, screw it. You know, I'm sure George seems like a normal human who would, you know, get a house with enough, you know, room for everybody and food. And, it, you know, I'm sure it'll be great. So long story short, night one comes around, you and I are laying on a sofa I have been thoughtful. I have like a sleeping bag of sorts. You are just fully clothed, laying down on the sofa, trying to sleep. I've I have not felt I don't feel bad for people that frequently. It was one of the most painful things I've ever watched in my entire life. And the next day, you're like you know what, I think I'm just gonna I think I'm just gonna find a place.
1: Like, I, can do this. I actually enjoyed the night we watched some football, and we watched a lot uh, of the problem. The problem was I had a I was on a deadline, so I I worked until like two in the morning. That's right, and then I needed to, I needed to sleep, and uh, it just wasn't happening. It wasn't your fault. Like i crashed on couches before, no big deal. Last in the castle. It was just that was not the night for it. I I, I respect you. <laughs> I would do the same thing.
0: We we made up for it though. Um, we went to a nice you know, it went to a nice steak dinner where. Famously, Steve Palazzolo showed up, ate a steak, and then left. Um, uh, Which uh, he—I mean—he's a devout listener of this podcast, so he'll definitely hear that story. Let's um, let's talk a little bit before we get into um, some of the kind of the storylines for this season. But for people that do not know, talk a little bit about um, the buy low model, the process, uh, maybe how you actually kind of came up with it. What was sort of the thing that you were trying to figure out and you know, just uh, give, give the people a little taste of what's coming.
1: Yeah, so in fantasy, DFS, even prop bets, uh, it's difficult to predict when a receiver is going to have a spike game. When he's going to blow up and all receivers, it doesn't matter how good they are. It could be, the example I always use was Julio Jones. He's probably washed now, but he was, you know, one of the best and, and fairly consistent and he got tons of targets. But even his performance graph, if you look at it week to week, was, resemble the sine wave. So the best leading indicators we have for like future production are always opportunity based. And when I began modeling this back in 2016, air yards were this new metric that people weren't leveraging for wide receivers as much. I mean, Mike Clay used it, formerly of a PFF. He used it, but he collapsed it into like a point estimate for ADOT. And then like Brian Burke had used it, but it was mainly for quarterbacks. Uh, The aforementioned football outsiders folks, they used it for things like Alex, but again, it was quarterback focus. focus. So I, I took it and I looked at it, flipped it on the other end and looked at it from uh, um, the quarterback or excuse me, the, the wide receivers perspective. And I found that it was a great way to kind of show the leverage behind each target. And then if you add in things like, you know, yards that they could have gotten intended yards on things like penalties um, you got a pretty good idea about what, the offensive coordinator and the quarterback wanted to do with that player, that receiver. And that in general, right, is stickier week to week than the variability and variance we find in actual performance. And so that's really the main idea driving the model. But the reason why it's so useful is that because of that other end of it, which is that wide receiver production is so hard to get a handle on, on a week to week basis to Mm -hmm. even get a short list of players that you think might perform uh outsized to expectation is hard to do but then on top of that when you're going to differentiate yourself from the rest of the market by playing those guys um, if it's dfs if it's a tournament um that's an added bonus as well um because a lot of these guys that look like trash and they're not they're not a guy you probably want to build a lineup around or even stick in one and just throw a lineup away so uh for, for those reasons it's been a successful model these past five six years six years now and uh yeah I, I, I'm I'm stoked to see it uh, kind of take maybe a, a, a different turn this year. I'm adding, uh, well, I'm back testing a few new things with some of the metrics you guys have, and hopefully it'll be uh, even better.
2: Yeah, it's sort of remarkable, right? That this has this has become, I would imagine, something that every single DFS player who is serious about playing DFS at least looks at every week, right? And looks at, you know, does and. and it's interesting because I sort of think it's like the perfect, it's sort of this perfect add on to like what somebody's doing for, with projections, right? Where you have a projection, you get median projections, you throw it through, you know, uh, a linear program and it gives you the optimal lineup. And like you can like generate tons of optimal lineups of constraints. But ultimately, what you're saying, and, and you're right, is that. If you get the median, if you get the best median performance out of wide receivers in DFS, you're not going to win tournaments because you're just like the variance isn't high enough. You need to hit on guys. And so, you know, A, it's it's really cool that like this has stood the test of time. B, do you think people are like, you know, there was the one year where like the first six out of seven weeks or something, the Millie Maker lineup had one of your players in it. Do you think that do you think that it's being fully incorporated into prices or do you think that it's actually like kind of price proof in the sense that the price is designated to model the median projection for a receiver and you're answering a different problem. That's sort of like skirting the game a little bit.
1: I think a little bit of, of, of the uh, latter. I think that it's not something that a projection based or optimization based solution is going to get you to, but at the same time, there's there's a lot of really sharp players who are out there not going just by those models right they go in and then they, they 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 build their lineups by hand so i think though that the idea of using just past performance in terms of points fantasy points whatever kind of you know metric you want to use i think people looking at past production is no longer as prevalent as it once was i think people understand that that's not a sharp way to go ahead and look at what is in the future for a wide receiver. So I think that part of it has definitely been priced into the market. People don't, you know, slavishly look at last week and go, well, that guy's going to do good again this week or in the next couple of weeks. He's a good, he's a good guy to either pick up on the waivers or to play next week. I don't think that happens as much anymore.
0: But there's no incentive for, you know, DraftKings fan whatever DFS site you use to give a shit, right? Like they're not trying to, they don't care who wins, you know, it's like, you know that they're they're making a they're making money regardless kind of thing, and so their job isn't you know they don't need to have sharp daily fantasy prices. My question is, as someone that can't stand, I shouldn't say that it's not that I can't stand DFS. I've never played DFS. I love to bet. I just think it's far more um, energizing. There's far more flexibility, and there's less of this you know a, a kind of all or nothing situation. How and this is for either of you guys, cause I'm trying to kind of think through it. Like I'm wondering how I'm going to use this to bet <laughs> more this year. And, you know, a lot of player props are priced. And Eric, we've talked about this a bunch, you know, like, a lot of player props are priced again to that median projection. Now, no one in betting even understands the median projection, Like right? No one has a clue, you know, how many yards on average a player is actually getting from a receiving standpoint um, that, that we've discovered that in talking to people. But I'm wondering if there's a more nuanced way to leverage something like, you know, a buy low opportunity aside from just betting like an over, you know, on a, on a player prop or something like that. Have you guys thought at all about that?
1: I think I would say two quick things about it and then toss it to Eric, but I think for the longest time on props, it would just slam the under and yeah. you would do really well. I think that's changed. So there might be a place for, uh, the buy low model, but the other problem is, I think Eric and i have talked about this it's just really hard with prop bets to go around and scoop up enough from different markets to, to actually make it worth your while yeah. unless you're just grinding and, and, um, so I don't know, I but there's I read an interesting article, and this is the second point, and then I'll I'll stop. But uh, I read an interesting article that in 2019 about 10 percent of handle, that's the amount of money that's bet each week, was going towards props, and it's almost even now, at least according to ESPN Chalk article that was written earlier this week. Uh, and these are not the big betting play; these are, these are not big sports books, but uh, the ones that were willing to share their data so that they could get some. Uh, some some shine on an ESPN article. Um, we're saying that now it's getting closer to parody. That these kids that grew up playing fantasy, this thing you despise, George, um, they are no longer that interested in making, you know, bats on teams and and they like the narratives around players. And and uh I've I've found that to be the case. I think we can talk ad nauseum about teams sometimes and it's just kind of, I don't know, for me it's a lot less Uh, to use your word, George electric. I like to talk about guys. I like to talk about their path. I like to talk about what they're going to do. Perhaps it's, I just feel like there's a lot more interest uh, from the public in that. And also uh, from my own perspective. So I think that uh, as, as betting volume goes that way, I think that uh, our content is also going to go that way um, in all sorts of forms.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, this is, this is so like, it's such a an interesting, I mean, the connections between the two are so interesting, right? Because I mean, we talked about this on the last show, George, remember, like, basically, you know, when, when you think about like, you know, props, you know, you, you can like win the prop early, you know, and, but then there's like things like points bet where you can like win more based upon how well your prop does over expected. I think DFS is kind of like that, right? Where it's not only that you need to like pick the right players quote unquote but you also need to like run up the score you know what i mean on your opponents when you, when you play dfs and that is a you know like it's just they're different games right but i think dfs is is fairly strong gateway into the props market because it, it's very much you know it's less about game theory more about handicapping where you know, what Josh is doing with the buy low stuff is more the game theory than the handicapping. Mm-hmm. There's handicapping in there for sure. But to your point, George, about the the draft, it's not in DraftKings' best interest to give a price, it, to inflate prices on players because that game makes the game no fun. So there is like this, you know, understanding variance, the way to skirt around that. It's different though, because in, in pr- the prop markets, unless you're betting like alts, you know, like plus 400 to go, so yeah, and so, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You're not really it's maybe still a different game but i think that they're they're very correlated with each other
0: well that's that was where my head went was um remember we bet um t higgins in in the super bowl to lead the game in receiving yards and you know our thesis was very much around the lopsided nature of the rams cornerbacks and the you know the height difference and um you know it it it, it proved to work really really well you think about some of those markets And Josh, by the way, to your point, I actually, I don't, I mean, I have some information on this. I don't, I'm curious. I haven't read that article, so I don't know which sports books those are. Um, I'm not sure it's there yet, but you know what I know isn't there yet is in game betting. And this is where I, I think there's opportunity. If you understand more about the player, you know, and what has happened in the previous game. And maybe you have a guy who, you know, uh, in, in the previous couple of games or whatever it might be, wasn't, wasn't performing super well. And then he's, he's not performing well in this game. Well, you know, and I don't, as those live markets come on and they will, uh, live props will become more and more, um, accessible. You know, you could really have those opportunities to, if, you know, maybe not if you're a professional better, but if you're a guy that wants to enjoy the game more like that, that to me is another opportunity. Um, and then I think about, you know, some of the ways that you could take shots on these players almost in a kind of DFS way, except that you don't have to like beat a bunch of other people where people love to bet parlays. I mean, that's the thing that's growing the most. And the one data point that I do have on um, uh, on the betting market is the margin, <laughs> the margin on parlays is something serious. And, you know, there's a reason for that, but I wonder if there's opportunity to, you know, to take advantage of some of these parlays, um, you know, if you have some extra information on like, you know, the variance there. So I don't know. I think it's super interesting. I
1: I think it's, I think it's great points and in-game parlays on props and correlated parlays. I think there's a lot of money to be lost if, if you're, if you're not sharp, but there, there there's quite a bit of money to be made if you're not going up against like huddles model and, you know, there's some really sharp guys doing in-game modeling and simming, True. and and if you if you're if you're getting a, a line from them, um, you better be really good. Uh, so I, I think I think uh, I think it could go both ways.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I I wonder again about the incentive there. You know, is the incentive to protect against the person that has a model to our to your point and Eric's point. That is looking to identify those kind of moonshot opportunities versus, you know, trying to trying to price the midpoint. Um, but I would say in betting, it's a little bit different, right? In betting, I think there's a much there is a obviously a much higher bar. I mean, guys that are that are trading in these markets have legitimate risk <laughs> that DFS pricers just simply do not have. So it's a it's a really good point.
2: Yeah. Um, as far as like the you know upcoming stuff right so you know these off seasons happen um, you know tons of ink is spelled in, in football analytics right and there are inevitably there's obviously at this point it used to be different you know when it we, you know five years ago when there weren't that many articles actually and in fact you know, I think especially George and I were really only interested in like basic research on football, football, not necessarily gambling or fantasy, but like, you know, now it's, there's so much to read. There's so much to to try to understand. There's so much to sort of, uh, walk through, um, Josh, what did, what was one piece of like football research, like this off season, a, that you really took something from and, and, or changed your mind about something. And what's something that, you like what's a football analytics topic or notion that you're kind of like well i'd still like to see better data on this or i'd still like to see better analysis done on this like what are the two sides of the spectrum for you and what why is it
0: defense theory? doesn't
2: matter
1: <laughs> so uh I, when i said defense doesn't matter that was strictly in the fantasy context but uh yeah no i think i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and uh stroke you guys on both counts i i really enjoyed eric your your your, your work on defender movement and especially on play action. And selfishly, it's some work I did. And what I thought was what surprised me and what I learned was that you were able to create a metric that was stable. Um, I was not, I found it to be just nothing. I I didn't find any correlation. And and so the fact that you found that there's some skill involved and and, or perhaps uh, a, a new emphasis on coaching, I think both of those are really interesting ideas. Like either this is something, is a skill that people can learn um, and that good, and it might show from good coaching. I think both of those things are just wildly cool and interesting. And I, I can't wait for just kind of understanding that more and, and seeing that play out this season and next to see how uh, see how that works and if we can make any any general predictions about how defenses per- perform based on that data. So that's the thing uh, I saw that I, I was really impressed by and interested in. Um, other other stuff you guys have been doing. Was this stuff where you just started doing tracking of um, you know defensive backs that weren't targeted, right? That this this impossible problem of how do you measure something that doesn't happen? And 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 I think you did great work on uh, putting together uh, an idea of what perfect coverage is, and 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 it, and that really confirmed my priors about you know these general ideas of who I have are good. These are good DBs, you know, and 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 they seem to show up on your guys' lists. And uh, and you got a great team of interns this year who've been doing. Awesome work with that, and has been doing some work with it, and I thought all that was uh, just stellar stuff. I think, I think uh, most of the stuff I was impressed with this offseason came from PFF. So, another another reason why I was stoked to uh, to join you guys. The- yeah, but it was
2: uh, yeah, and I I think that the you sort of talked about like wasted yards with linebackers in you know sort of uh, you know what was it the twenty was it twenty nineteen I think you were you were sort of exploring the notion of yeah um you know how much play action is too much play action basically and you know the answer was none and I I think what's interesting is like you know you yeah and that was something certainly like uh, you know we we cited in our paper because it was like really a good idea you know and 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 it's you know and I think also in, in 19 you had basically from basically a year and a half less of data than we had which I think helps right like as these data sets become bigger you know back when you and I when the three of us started becoming friends like we didn't have all this all coverage data that's all you know we're talking about we didn't collect that until well after we all knew each other right and and had you know and so what's cool as I think is this new information allows us to really allows us to really test um, allows us to really test our theories and, and things like that and to you know come up with things like I, I personally for me the play action stuff is is only good because it also correlates negatively with going after the ball in the run game right like the the whole like ground covered stuff and then and the interesting thing is it's not necessarily like all that correlated with team success on the play level it's really hard to do that as i think folks know but what it does do is it's it, it sort of shows types of players, right? And it so and it sort of shows types of offenses. So when you look at Lamar Jackson, and I think Lamar's a really interesting one for all of us because hit you know as a thrower using traditional techniques, like he might he doesn't necessarily show up the best, but we know that there's there's or we or we think that there's something positive about what he's doing. And being able to look at the tracking data and say, oh, okay, linebackers don't move against him. Right. And that's why you see, you know, JK Dobbins have the seventh highest yards before carry or yards before contact per carry in the league. And that's why Gus Edwards is like top 20. And, you know, Lamar's first. It's like, you know, it's partially O-line, but it's partially this defense just like not knowing what to do. And, you know, our traditional means of tracking these things were not capable of actually, you know, you know, being able to do that.
0: I have a stat. am just going to read the stat. Uh, Josh, you're going to enjoy this. Um, this is from uh, at Duncan, D-A-O nuts on Instagram. And what this is, is the, uh, the rate of uh, increase or decrease of various crypto companies from the point at which a celebrity started endorsing them. I think you'll enjoy some of these. Um, Matt Damon, uh, famously of, was it was it crypto.com or whatever? Fortune favors the bold, I'm told. Minus 60%. Tom Brady, FTX, minus 35%. Matt James, who was uh, formerly of The Bachelor with BlockFi, minus 30%. But here are the two best. Paul Pierce, I don't know what the fuck he, kind of crypto he was trumpeting, but minus 98%. And the best one is Mark Cuban. <laughs> again i have no idea what he was pumping but minus 99% since he began endorsing what uh, whatever crypto he was he was trumpeting um you have been rather vocal on the internet and uh, by the way if, if people don't follow you on twitter they're they're missing out but um you have been rather uh vocal about despite the fact that you're a good person and you feel bad for for all those out there who may have lost some money um You've been very critical of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, and so as you look at where it is right now, and everyone calling it what is it, the crypto winter or whatever, do you do you feel that you've been proven right by by this, or actually sent you know ha- has your mindset maybe changed at all, um, and do you feel that there is a, a future in it in some way, shape, or form? What's your current take on it?
1: No, I, I don't think there's any future for blockchain. Um, it, it doesn't solve any important problems. And it, and every problem that it purports to solve can be more easily done with just a regular database. So I, I think, you know, I think, you know, to the extent that me saying you should sell and the price went down, uh, so, you know, to the extent that that makes me right. Yeah, I guess I was right. But I don't feel great about it, except in like a couple, you know, like specific instances with like, you know, uh, personal squabbles. But like, I, I think the core problem with cryptos is just too many grifters and, and beyond like, even beyond those obvious charlatans, like there's, there were these people that were promoting Bitcoin in just really irresponsible ways. They were saying things like, oh, the rules have changed, you know, mm. the rules are changed. The old way of thinking about value, that's wrong, you know, buying low that's for rubes. You know, you have to buy high. So you make that number go up and it was just nonsensical stuff. It just, it, it was on its face absurd. And, and along with that kind of absurdity came leveraging of social media and like trying mm-hmm. to get unsophisticated betters to buy in and hold. It was just deeply unethical and a lot of kids they got taken. And I don't know, hopefully the next time that these kids, you know, are told to like hold or have diamond hands, they'll just kick the person saying it right in the balls. I mean, maybe that is the bright side because like if a generation of young investors learned that if you don't have an exit plan you're like you're the mark you know then maybe that's worth the destruction of a trillion dollars in like fake value like Mm -hmm. but i'm i don't know i'm dubious like charles mckay he wrote um extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds he wrote that in 1841. so i don't know it seems like getting taken is maybe just part of the human condition, and, and people don't want to be told they're getting taken in real time, right? They just don't yeah. want to hear it, and then they sure as shit don't want to be told or reminded that they were taken after the fact.
0: Right, so, right. They want to make just, they they want to make excuses for for other things. I,
1: you know, it's interesting
0: because I I try and separate the technology from the the thing that supposedly had value. What I always struggled with is the idea that you would actually invest in a currency. You know, I I think of investing in a company or a product, right? That has the value because of what it does for people. The idea that you would just sort of invest in something that is not a product, like it's a product, (laughs) was really, I think, kind of the the crazy thing in in that, you know, it was going up in a way that was, you know, a currency has never done that. <laughs> like, uh, that's not something that a currency does. And it was being it was being traded and bought as if it was some you know uh kind of a magical product. You know, like it was an iPhone or something like that. Um, when when in reality it it just wasn't. I, I thought that was um it was really kind of a, an amazing hoodwinking of people. To say, oh no, no, this is something that you know you should invest in, as if it was a, a rare diamond or something like that. That's you know, going to maintain its value. Yeah. Um, but I kind of agree with you. Like, I, I think that maybe it teaches some people um, a lesson that they you know they might have learned. But overall, the next generation is going to go, eh? They're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. This is the new thing. You know, like that's that's kind of what happened here. I mean, people told everyone that NFTs were Beanie Babies all over again, and like, you know. That didn't, the Ben, uh, ben Mesrich
2: no. book about the Beanie Babies was really good. Well, the, that was a different book, but there's the 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 Beanie Baby book was really instructive for this, right? Because you you know I was like maybe in my I was like ten or so when it was happening, and you could tell that people were just being crazy about it. But I I, I want to get to I want to circle this back to a team to an NFL team because I think that they're tied together. Okay. Okay. Josh, do you think the Bitcoin sort of craze? is part of just like a fomo culture where the last thing you want to see is your idiot neighbor getting rich right i think that that's part of it isn't it like and you know and, and the last thing you want to see is some like some you know self-righteous punk who's like 18 19 years old get rich off of bitcoin i think that that plays into it right now where yeah, I, mean- I where i really respect you in many ways, but this is Jesus. one key way. Okay, you of course shoot. You of course eschewed all of that, and you seem to also be eschewing all of that with the Detroit Lions. Oh no! The the restore the roar. You know, and granted, I was first. Let's not let's 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 not get it twisted. I was first. I but roar. now everybody appears <laughs> to be jumping on the bandwagon, enjoying Dan Campbell, enjoying Jared Goff. And and, you know, there's a little bit of a part of me that's like, look, I like the band first. OK, but I really respect you because you are at least either making fun of me for trying to restore the roar, which is fine, which is perfectly acceptable. Or you are actually you are abhorring the roar, which, again, is going against the entire crowd. You are a a, a, a maverick, let's say, in this regard, uh, we'll be lucky? Um, a fortunate one, let's say. Um, Josh, what say
0: you about that? He's wearing lions blue, by the way. Let's just be let's let's note the Honolulu. intention.
1: Brings out brings out my eyes. So I think <laughs> I think the uh I think the problem I have with the Lions is that uh people have taken this idea that there's they're a good bet early in the season, right? Versus what Vegas thought at the time. Um and they've taken it just three steps way too far for me. Like I just like I, I'm sure, Eric, you got some amazing value on your original bets. And I'm happy for you. Like, uh, I think you'll you'll probably win those. But I mean, as a football team, like, uh I mean, I have some I have some data. Do we really need my data? Like, I, I don't I don't think we even need my data. Like they're just they're just not a good team and they're not they don't have good players. And Dan Campbell, as much as I enjoy listening to him like talk and and not even what he says, just how he says it, like All that stuff is amazing and great football and great content. And I'm excited to watch the team. Uh, I have, I mean, they're one of the six worst teams in the league, right?
2: I I mean, mean, other than everything you just listed though, I think that they have it. Like, (laughs) so, so when I, when I think about a team in the NFL and this is, I think where we get, I could get in trouble. Is I think of bets. We talked about this with Fabian Zuma. Zuma, when he was on Sunday. Zuma, when I think of bets, I think of I think of two two reasons to bet something. One of them is structural. So like Wong teasers in the preseason, or um, you know you know the whole market's painted minus two and a half, and you can get a plus three somewhere. Like all that kind of stuff. Those are independent of what I think of a team. And I think when when you just look at those things, Detroit has the deck in their favor, right? They 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 have, you know, and rest and travel and all that is very small. You're not talking about points per game, for sure. Like, you're talking about a sixth of a point per game. But then you add on top of that their opponents, and that's about seven-tenths of a point per game is what I've calculated in terms of, like, our rating system. So you get like a, you get like just a, a handicap there that is favorable to them, just independent of who they are or what they, what they are. And from there, like I think the positive case is that they're very, that they have very good, they have very good investments in very valuable positions along at least their offense, you know, both tackles, uh, you know, wide receiver eventually in Williams the other two wide receivers in Chark and St. Brown who are thousand yard guys, you know, obviously golf is a little bit of an issue. Golf is not a great quarterback, but when you play an, incre- when you play a schedule, you ha- that's that easy, you have like sort of incrementally more favorable situations. So when you're in one of those play action dropback type of offenses, it's just more conducive to that success. And so, yeah, I agree. I mean, look, I'm not, I think the high watermark for them is like nine wins. And so I'm really hoping they get over six and a half to your point, Josh, but I do think that they're, and the other thing, and maybe I want to get your, I want to get you got both of you guys' opinion on this for Dan Campbell, not a play caller does pretty well on the fourth down stuff. I mean, you know, at least his rule of thumb is be aggressive, which I think is a decent, if you're going to err on the side of anything, he doesn't call plays players generally speaking sound like they play hard for him what else is it that like what could he what could he do so poorly in that case given the first two things i said that would make him a negative ev play as the head coach
0: so first off he doesn't he he doesn't say be aggressive he gets pom poms and says be aggressive <laughs> like that's the kind of guy that he is he doesn't do anything like in a normal way so I was watching I was watching Hard Knocks last night and I feel like I watched and I love Dan Campbell okay I love the guy super happy for him I thought midway through the second episode that I was re-watching the first episode because I felt like I'd heard everything already and I was like wait Am I just rewatching episode one? It's like checked it. Like no, no, this is episode two. I was like, hmm. If I'm hearing the same thing just after one episode of a show that's overproduced to the nines, what does that mean? You know, week eight, week nine, week ten. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say this: I'm just making a counterargument to you in terms of mm-hmm. what what can go wrong with with that situation. That sounds really, really good when you have no expectations and everyone hates you and you're Jared Goff and you've been literally thrown out of a team and all of those other players are, you know, totally nowhere to be found. Just completely thrown out and like despondent. That resonates with you. And when it doesn't matter if you win games, it still resonates with you. The problem is, is if they... Lose close games over and over and over again because they have they don't really have a a, a plan. <laughs> it's just play hard. It's just you know be gritty. That's going to start to grind. It's going to start to be like oh fuck I've heard this again and again. And when I look at that team, you know I, I think I was I was talking to you Eric about this last night. Like I love Deuce Staley. I love Do Staley as a content creator on the show. I am very interested to see how this offense looks. You know, like, mm-hmm. are they just going to run the ball into the ground? Um, are they going to run on second and long all the time? Am I that excited about Jared Goff be- being a decent quarterback in that offense? And the answer is, I really don't know. And so I, I think, you know, to, to Josh's point, there's now expectation around them. Maybe it's, you know, because of the public love and Eric, you can take all the credit for it, but there's a difference between performing when it just, when there's no stakes right? When there's no expectations. And when you have any kind of expectation, all of a sudden that you feel a little, you know, you're a little, uh, a little hesitant when you've got to make decisions. And we just haven't seen them under that, under that situation. So I, I understand, Josh. Where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think that if I was Dan Campbell, my shelf life with that kind of energy and and, and his kind of tropes is probably two seasons, right? And so I would have kept some of this held in advance and I would have like saved it when I got a quarterback, you know, and then I would have unleashed all the Danisms and I just would have tried to marshal the forces to like, just have a, just crush it in a season where there was real hope, right. For something more. And I think, I think the unfortunate thing is he's going to use up all of his coaching capital by the time his team is actually in a place to contend.
2: Yeah, I think all those all of those risks are reasonable. Um, I yeah, I uh, I think that those risks are reasonable.
0: There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion for two episodes in in the in the right, and podcast.
2: that's one of the reasons. A lot, why of, I a lot of like it. almost
0: crying yeah. during uh, you know, like but every like time he that says, was also Man, one of the like reasons "There's a tear so- almost comes." Yeah, you know? it's tough.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that type of coaches work before in the Tomlins and the Vrabels and stuff like that. I think that that's the card he, he of course has to play because he's not, I mean, he's like, he, I mean, he's like a, like a more energetic version of Mike Tice. Let's, you know, and, and Mike Tice, when he was the Viking both were former tight ends in the league when Mike Tice coached the Vikings, he did coach above the talent level on that team, you know? Um, so there is like a little, but but to Josh's point, they don't have a quarterback that you know I think we all you know believe in. I think they have a quarterback who's good enough to tell you that certain players on the roster are good, right? Like St. Brown and like he's he you're he's not gonna be so bad that you can't figure things out about your team. Um, but he's also been pretty good before. I, I so I guess like there is more upside that I think people are giving golf credit for, but I do think all those risks are 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 there. George, your issue with uh, Hard Knocks becoming stale after two episodes is that I mean, I, are we just did we and and did I, to be honest here, did I make the bar too high? Because Hard Knocks it's is normally your ass, right? Like, so did did the Lions give you one and a half more episodes than you even expected? Like, are uh, we are we oeing this one wrong?
0: Here's here's the thing: Hard Knocks can be good. If you have multiple characters that are interesting, Dan Campbell is not just starring in the Hard Knocks show. Like he is writing, producing, editing, cutting. Like it's just the life of Dan Campbell. Like that's what it is. Like they're they're like, hey, can we get some more Deuce Staley in there? And it's like, we can try, but like, this isn't going to hit really well. It's like, all right, bring Dan in again. (laughs) Hey Dan, do you have another speech you can give? And it's like. He's like on page 695 of his speech book. Um, I mean, there's only so much that like Aiden Hutchinson's perfectly charmed life and, and family are going to like get done. Like, you know, it's like, right, right, right. it's just not that engaging. What I am surprised by, and this was, this concerns me. Okay? And maybe they're waiting. Maybe they're holding it in the chamber. Jared Goff's a former number one pick. He's a quarterback. His, he was dating. He is dating a supermodel who's now his fiance, who moved with him to Detroit and was stoked to get engaged to this guy. And she's a supermodel. Like she's willingly living in Detroit. Yeah, there is. I see that, uh, hold on. I see that and I go, I would be talking to the quarterback. I'd be talking to Jared Goff. So my, I'm worried that a show that's looking to get, you know, people interested and has no content anywhere to be seen. I mean, none, like absolutely zero. Is not talking to the quarterback. I heard more about David Blau, who is apparently just, you know, literally sitting there cheering on his wife. Like that's his job. Like it clearly isn't to play quarterback. The guy's terrible. Like th- that was a main storyline for them. And it worries me deeply if I am a lions better that Jared Goff is not being uh shown more in the show. Just saying.
2: Yeah, uh, that we're not, not getting Goff's like revenge tour, right?
0: Apparently not. Apparently not. Um, I want to move uh, from your first favorite team, Eric, to your second favorite team. And you weren't prepared for this, but I'm going to ask Josh anyways. Josh, you've written, um, I think, at least a couple of different pieces. I remember one, I think, specifically about Patrick Mahomes. And I don't know, Eric and I, I felt like talked about Mahomes every single week last year on Sunday nights. And I mean, he did not grade particularly well by his standards last year. They obviously have changed up their offense a bunch. There were things that clearly didn't appear to be going well there. And there's also this narrative out there, you see it on social media, where like Mahomes literally does anything and people just like, you know, shit their pants, right? And so (laughs) I think you could make a case either way. And I'm curious if you would lean either of these ways, which is, is Patrick Mahomes underrated? Or is Patrick Mahomes overrated? Because there are there are, you could tell both of those narratives, and and maybe this gets into a conversation more around like how you view the quarterbacks in the league. But I'd like to start with Mahomes.
1: Yeah, I'm really bad at rating, overrating, underrating. Like I, what I would say about Mahomes is, and, I, and this has also been mentioned to death, and it's one of the things I wrote about, is that he just didn't have bad games until last year. Like he, he had mm-hmm. one. And that's, that's outrageous. Like that's, that's a stupid level of performance. Like it's just, it, it, it makes no sense. And, you know, eventually he had had to stop. Right. And I thought it was going to stop in his sophomore season. I, I mean, I took a lot of heat when I said regression is real. Like he was way too good, you guys. And he did regress, but he's still otherworldly. Like, and that's when I was like, all right, you know, Mahomes is legit. One of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. And, I, it would take a lot more than I guess it was 60% of a season for me to go off of that uh, prior and, and think that now actually he's, he's worse than all that. Like he's not generational anymore. You know, you know, he's him missing Tyreek and, and the aging out of, of his tight end, uh, Kelsey might, might really be a problem for him. And I think that I was talking with Eric on Twitter just like yesterday and he made a good point that he thinks that it's going to force Andy to be more creative um he's gonna have to use the depth on his roster and his weapons a little bit more and 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 that probably is a good thing if you read like kevin clark's piece on him that there was a lot of like stuff that didn't really have uh much of an impact on my opinion of patrick mahomes but there was some interesting like tidbits like that he is focused on getting to the next read in a way that he didn't feel it wasn't just that he was being lazy it's just it always worked like they were always able to get to the shot play and it always worked. And he's just like, I just, I wanted that to still be true. And it took a while for me to like grieve, you know, like that not being the case anymore. And I totally, I thought that was like, that was pretty good stuff. I thought that was real. And I thought that that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, if he's over that grieving process and he can actually process the field uh, the way that I think Danny Reed is going to want him to, and take what they give him when he needs to, and then set up the shot later. I, I just think Mahomes is gonna be fine. I think he's going to be rated as one of the best
2: quarterbacks in the league again.
0: Is he well, still it, number it, one for you?
1: Yeah, he's still number one.
2: I th- I think it's also hard, right? We when and this is one of the issues with when, when you think about like trying to use any one number to measure player performance, right? Where you know the PFF grade values, you know deep balls right like it values 10 to 19 yard passes it values I think personally it values the throw more than the engineering of the throw so I think it's like more in line with like CPOE for example in my estimation like it does a great job of determining how good of a thrower you are but I don't but I think like it sometimes negatively affects players who engineer great throws before. It doesn't take him.
0: Con- there's no context.
2: Well, yeah, the, the expectation is a quarter, the expectation that it's subtracting off is partially a quarterback stat as well. Right. So mm. PFF grades, in my opinion, do some of that too. Like I think PFF grades don't, like, I don't necessarily know if we do the best job sometimes of positively grading a quarterback when he engineers for himself a throw that is valuable, but trivial to, to make physically. Right. That. And, and so anyway, so like from there, like you get Patrick Mahomes, the league was not giving him deep passes last year, especially in the second half of the season His big time throw rate goes down. And like, if you know how our grades are computed, that's going to lead to a worse grade that offense still led the NFL in points per drive that nfl that offense was still super efficient from an epa perspective and so on um you know that i, I think that the the problem i said this to josh is like they the nfl like set out for off seasons now to make the chiefs play left-handed and to their credit i think they did a really good job of learning how to play left-handed better incrementally last year like as they finished they won like seven or the last eight games they had the great buffalo game and then they had a great half against the bengals and of course it melted down at the end but like but the question i think that they answered with the with a no is do you want to have to optimize yourself as a left-handed team and, and i think instead they said well like let's change who we are so that we can optimize that. And if it's slightly different or drastically different than what the league knows us as, maybe there's a reintroduction of this edge that we had at the beginning of the Mahomes era. Because I don't think they had an edge anymore, you know, from a schematic standpoint, the last like maybe a year and a half. Like I think it was just really talented play caller, really talented coach, but I don't think they had a schematic edge anymore because the league like put their heads together to stop it. And and so I, th- and th- this isn't to say that they'll have an edge with this new offense. I mean, it's already, you know, Juju's already had a hurt knee, um, you know, Nicole Hardman hurt his groin and stuff like there's, it, it, it might not work, but I think at least trying is is better than continuing to try to grind out, you know, 12 win seasons the hard way. I don't know. I,
0: you know, it's interesting. I, I would still, I would still have Mahomes one. Um, although I think that, that the margin, you know, used to be what felt like a mile. I don't think it's that way anymore. Um, I really don't. And I, you know, I think you have to consider the fact that, I mean, look, Tyreek Hill, is the highest paid receiver in the NFL. Travis Kelsey is, was the best tight end. I think you can make some arguments there now, but that helps. He had an above average offensive line at a really great scheme. Um, And what it does to me is less about highlighting you know anything that's wrong with Mahomes? I, I there's adjustment. There's always adjustment, and and whether he adjusts or not will will tell the story here. To me, your point, Eric, about engineering throws, it highlights actually the greatness of Tom Brady, in my opinion. <laughs> like the dude engineer. You know, there's something to be said for a guy with athleticism who's out there engineering a lot of throws. You know, and and making those things happen. And I think to a certain degree, yes, you should give him credit for that, but. There's also the ability to get that done, you know, the, the way that Tom Brady does. Tom Brady can't do like 99% of the things that Patrick Mahomes does like on a play to play basis, which I think is, you know, and yet has over has engineered all of those things from within the pocket over and over and over again. I just think it's so funny to, to look at the way that, you know, right now, if you had to pick a quarterback for the future it better look like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, or, you know, one of these players that can do all of those things because of the way that the NFL is trending a guy like Tom Brady is, is such a, uh, you know, a one-off, like, I I'm not sure we'll ever see anything like that again. (laughs) Like, I really don't, you know, especially with, you know, where, you know, like human and athletic performance is going. Like, I think we may look back, you know, twenty years from now, and be like, can you believe that a guy like Tom Brady existed? <laughs> like, you know, it's just not something that we're we're gonna see again. Maybe it'll be Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, maybe he takes the, um, the throne. You know, at some point. But uh, I don't know. I, I just think that I agree with with both of you, and I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to watch the Chiefs maybe for the first time in a few seasons after they beat my Niners. I'm really excited to see like what what that offense looks like. Um, Josh, you. Um, are kind of famous for taking these contrarian views. I appreciate both of them that you've had thus far. I'm sure you're going to give me one again here. Um, who are you interested in team-wise this upcoming season? What are the narratives um, or storylines that you are excited to follow and learn from?
1: Yeah, they're they're not really team-based. They're player-based for the reasons I already talked about, really. Just that I think that I think that there's a growing number of people who follow the NFL for the player narrative rather than the team narrative. I think team narrative has grown a little stale. So that's my first point. The second is, um, you know, given that I have an article coming out tomorrow and one of the guys I talk about is Trey Lance, who's is your 49ers. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but like the greenest of the green quarterbacks, um, like a total projection in almost every way, um, uh, you know, you hear good things out of camp. You hear good things. You see a, a good performance maybe on C- week one of the preseason. And then you you see him in in, in practice, you know, where he can't complete um, passes within structure. And he's got to, you know, bail and, and make make plays on the move, which is fine. It's great, you know. Uh, but what I looked at, I looked at one specific aspect of his play, and that was his rushing ability. We had, I forget the exact number, so I had 20, 29 rushes in the regular mm-hmm. season um you know I could have expanded to the playoffs I just think things are just a little different in the playoffs so I just looked at the regular season on 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 zone read which is an important part of Shanahan's Mm -hmm. offense Mm -hmm. uh he averaged less than three yards a carry and like in RG3's first year it was like eight uh under the same coach Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know you hear Shanahan talk he was asked about this I think in 2018 or 2019 he said the teams figured out zone readings. He's like, well, it all depends on the quarterback. Can the quarterback make you step up? And can he make you, you know, force you to stop that run? And then if he can, is he good enough then to make the passes? And we are completely in the dark about his passing ability. Mm-hmm. And the evidence we do have about his rushing ability is really suspect. So I—that's I, basically my, the thrust of my article—is that he's going to need to be a good passer. Um, yeah. he's going to need to be a really good passer for this to work out for San Francisco this year.
0: What I'm, I, I was going to have, uh, the, kind of the, this, I have a similar take in that the passing is something that I think we're taking for granted a little bit. Um, and I guess my question, cause I think the RG three, um, comparison is very interesting and I'm excited to hear both of your guys opinions on this. RG three had an amazing, uh, rookie season. I mean, it was ridiculous. And, you know, RG3 is not a great quarterback. (laughs) And the downfall of him was that he thought he was going to be a great quarterback from a passing standpoint. And like, you know, it got injured and like that just didn't work out. And what is a great passer if you can get the running stuff down? And I get granted, that's a big if. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm really interested to see is what does Kyle Shanahan's offense do for Trey Lance? You know, is it something that he's able to pull that string that he was able to pull with RG3? Because if not, who does that reflect poorly on? You might say Trey Lance. I think it, I think this is a, Big season for Kyle Shanahan in the sense that, you know, not only did he co-sign on, you know, picking Trey Lance, right? This was their guy, you know, unless you believe some sort of conspiracy theory. But you've got to think that when Kyle Shanahan makes a play like that, in his mind, he goes, This is the piece that I need. Right. I mean, that that's basically what he said. You know, he's been to the Super Bowl, he's been to within a, you know, a shot of the Super Bowl, a, a dropped interception with a quarterback that had a half paralyzed body, and it would happen to be his right side. So he's basically saying, "This is all I need," and um, I, I think it's a really good point. And I will be more interested in what that looks like from a passing standpoint than a running standpoint with Shanahan and Lance. And we have—has there been a quarterback that we've had less data on going into like a big season? I mean, David, uh, you know, Eric, you may come up with somebody, but I mean, we know nothing about this guy—like, just absolutely nothing. Because you look back at those games, Josh, and like they weren't, the team was not preparing for Trey Lance to play. Like he came in on random plays and then he had to come in for a couple of injury, you know, injured Garoppolo starts that they were not prepared for Trey Lance to be the starter. So we know nothing.
2: Yeah. And well, what was it? He had like, what, less than 50 plays in college where his team was trailing or less than 50 dropbacks or something like that. So Mm -hmm. even then, like you're looking at a guy who, in a run first offense in North Dakota state was given situations that were very conducive to being run first. And then, yeah, I mean, and then you had the pandemic where he started one game. He started two games last year. So we're talking about since 2019, he started three games total. Uh, and one of them was an FCS start. Um, and then his career prior to that was FCS, which, you know, we have context. I mean, he has Steve McNair of Alcorn state. You have, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, I believe, was one of the directional Illinois that was FCS. I mean, you have you have some evidence that that those players can play for sure. Um, but their error bars are substantial, aren't they? What's his floor? I think
1: his floor is, and here's the way I would frame things. His floor is way lower than a third overall pick should be in my opinion. Um, Now, I mean, you still have, you know, Jamarcus kind of busts, you know? So, I mean, the floor is the floor. The floor is zero. The floor is out of the league in three years. But, but I mean, I I think at this point, maybe I, maybe, maybe this is a a poor statement to make, but it felt like we had wrung out a little bit of the risk in top of the first round quarterbacks. Like we had made some progress Mm. and he seems like, just a wild swing with a really high pick.
2: Right. It's, I thought it's, well, I was, I was just going to say show, it. George was so, and granted like Mac Jones, I mean, the book is not written on him at all. He's a
0: top 100 player.
2: Yeah. Eric, yeah. yeah. In the um, league. Well, I, I said on the draft show that like, I felt like we were so, and this is partially us betting. So like there, there's obviously, you know, you're, your root for your bet in some ways sometimes. Right. But we were so relieved, I guess that Shannon, and it wasn't even that like Mac Jones wasn't necessarily worth the third pick. It was more like, we didn't think that he was worth mortgaging the future of the draft to take right at three when the only thing that was pushing his number up to three was the trade, right? Like it was, yeah. That that was the hard part for us to square. Like we, you know, for us it was like, well, in a rational world, you know, why would you trade that many draft picks to move up and get a guy you very well could have gotten at twelve? That was our and. But then when he took Lance, we were all sort of relieved that that wasn't the case, and we never took a step back to look and say, as Josh said, the distribution was super wide on Lance, right? Where Fields could have been, you know, a, a player there. Um, Mac Jones, you know, I think ultimately if you're a Niners fan and you want some sort of like, uh, you know, well, you know,
0: you're not, you're not drafting a three. If you're redrafting now,
2: if you're drafting a three, you're not taking Lance, right. If you're redrafting, you may really? take Mac,
0: but I also think, Oh, you, I'm not taking Mac Jones. There's no way I'm taking Mac Jones. Mac taking Jones did you watch? I I would have taken fields uh the first time around and I don't, I don't have enough data on anybody to say. I mean, I tell you okay. who I'm not taking. I'm not taking Zach Wilson.
2: <laughs> well, we got we got to wrap. I mean, we got to wrap this up pretty soon here. But I, I do want to ask Josh because this is a really good question, right? Okay, assume you redraft and assume it's still it's still Lawrence. Lawrence still going one. And, and and it's still Lawrence. It's still Wilson. Let's say, let's assume that. Knowing what you know now, is Mac Jones is Mac Jones the third pick?
1: so after saying all this about wide distributions and that he has the he has a really low floor um i mean mac jones is is one of those guys he's like his ceiling is probably what we saw i mean he might get a little bit better but he's going to be like a the 15th 14th best quarterback in the league like that's kind of what you're getting so i mean i guess i guess the perfect place for him was the patriots and i just don't see him being anywhere near as good anywhere else. So, no, I don't think I would draft him okay. third, I, it, it, but I would draft him higher than he went. Um, I, I would, I think fields, he dropped too far. I think he would be up there. Zach Wilson seemed, I know you loved America. I know the numbers that you have, your stuff liked him. Um, I think a lot of with Wilson has been, you know, injury and, and a, a, a much poorer surrounding cast than maybe people thought. Yeah. Um And, and then this year, things were lining up, and now he's re injured. So, I, I don't know, it's a tough, tough race for that kid. Um, you know, he's had a wild off season.
2: so uh, I don't, <laughs> I thought he might mature in it's the pocket. One way to put you it were on, saying you know. things were lining up for him, but it felt like there was a, another entity lining up for him, um, this offseason. But the
0: real housewives of New Jersey is, but like, I mean, but you're right, he's, I mean, Josh, he's injured like and the focusing on his real the one
2: thing, thing that I still I don't think properly incorporated in the models It's like in like like Zach Wilson kind of reminds me of another BYU quarterback in, in jim McMahon right where he's small taysom Hill okay <laughs> Jim McMahon and that Jim McMahon probably let's let's just put it, like jim McMahon has has put a couple pelts on the wall let's just say and um I feel like McMahon was also too small to like play quarterback reliably in the NFL right he was really wiry, he was tough. And this isn't a product of toughness, it's just like if you're slight like that, you get hurt some, right? And I think that that is, Kurt Wilson was always gonna be a little bit of a ramp up. And the Jets, I think the Jets this year have given him something, but last year they didn't give him much. And and to be fair to the Jets, he didn't give them much back. So that that one's gonna be interesting for sure.
0: Josh, I'll get you out of here on this. You are a connoisseur of the finer things in life. We like to give people good recommendations on this show. um, You know, Eric and I have just been lauded for our recommendations, but not often do we get a chance to recommend, you know, a good bottle of wine or a good bottle of whiskey or something like that. So um, you generally do a good job of uh, giving people things that they'll like and that they can afford. Um, So bless, bless the formerly known syndicate and us with uh, a recommendation of yours.
1: Interesting. So this one's going to be a little harder to find. I don't know if they ship out of state. They might, if you get a chance, uh, there's a small winery in Russian river Valley, uh, California called boleto family run. Um, it's being run right now by one of the daughters. She's a, she's a tremendous uh, woman, really sweet. And she'll greet you at the uh, tasting room. Every time you come in, if you come in a couple times a year, she'll remember your name. And they make good wine. Um, uh, The Winery Block, one of my favorites. I get it every year. Um, Used to be like a $35 bottle of wine. Now, yeah, we're talking closer to 50. Now, that's a lot of money. And I think the problem now, though, is that to get good Pinot, which is my favorite wine, you do have to spend a little bit of money. So uh, this this would be money well spent to good people in a beautiful place on this earth if you ever get a chance to go up there.
0: On the website right now, um, I'll be making a purchase. Uh, you sold me on it, and I think actually you're 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 right in that fifty dollars is is a lot of money, but there are some wines out there that are not that good that sell for like you know eight x that, and so I think you're doing the people right with with something in that price range. I really do.
2: It, if I I mean I I've had I had a glass of wine today first time oh. ever George. Um, wow i might have fallen off the wagon as well i'm not falling off the wagon i'm allowing myself to sort of Mm. have so josh if you did i i went what like three and a half months without drinking um Mm. trying to lose a little bit of weight and like uh but i'm 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 slowly sort of reintroducing it a a little bit back into my life i waited until george left so i could left you know to go live in san diego for a little bit so i could have the most fun um, but uh, oh, I yeah.
0: indulge by indulging with a glass of wine.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: big, big time. I'm I'm actually doing something similar right now. I'm in a couple of weeks, I'm I'm gonna be at the Bengals game for a night, and okay. uh, and then we're going to Miami Beach. So I am George. I'm cutting right now.
2: Good,
0: good uh, for yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> good. I I support that. Um, when you go to Miami Beach, if you if you're going to South Beach. And you're not preparing weeks in advance. Oh yeah. Then then you're why not doing go. it right. Yeah. yeah why, exactly. Yeah. Well, good for you. Um, if you need any tips, Eric can help. Uh, he uh, obviously professional. Well, I thought it
2: was interesting because, like, you know, Josh, you were like George. I'm cutting, and I'm like George has never had to cut in his life. I'm the cutter <laughs> of the the weight here. George, George, and George. By the way, as people will know, is is it has. I would say reasonable, reasonable takes on before and after stuff. Your take is that you should never have to be part of a before picture, which I guess. <laughs> <get>. um, <laughs> so, but for those of us who who, who are part of a before picture, uh, you know, yeah, you know, I get what you're, I get where you're coming we from.
0: We started, we started the podcast talking about the chances that if I find success in life, I end up doing TED talks about, uh, getting yourself in shape. This has confirmed that that will not be happening. Um, you don't need to worry about it. I've been outed as now. I can't come up with a story. I don't have a, I was once 300 pounds story, right. so can't do it. Um, Josh, You're this saved, came- you've
2: been saved your whole life. You're going to be a crappy pastor.
0: True. Yeah. I'm a virgin in that regard. Um, Josh, this was a blast. We're excited about this season. We'll obviously have to do this, um, again, Um, we should do this in person at some point with some wine. It's been too long. Uh, We appreciate you give our best to the whole family and uh, great to talk to you again, buddy.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks.